Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day. I'm a little stiff and he is Liverpool, <laughs> Univer- <laughs> He's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, chuckling at the fact I said I'm a little stiff. I knew you would. How are you, Kieran? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very good. It's been, uh, it's been a busy few days, shall we say. Yes, of course it has, yeah. I should explain, by the way, to new listeners, I'm a little stiff because I walked a marathon yesterday for, uh, not because I'm excited at seeing Kieran, obviously. <laughs> uh, yes, Kieran, I don't know why you've been busy. I mean, it, it, it is questions day, but we have one one tiny little news issue that I think is probably worth mentioning. I don't know if anybody's interested in it, but uh, <laughs> I think they're still, mostly, they're still either drunk or hungover in Newcastle, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, the uh, the deal that uh, was uh, been on and off non-stop for the, the past, well, probably for 13 out of the 14 years that uh, that Mike Ashley's uh, been involved with the club. He's He's been thinking about selling the club, formally trying to sell it, informally trying to sell it. Well, as we know, the deal has now gone through. Um, I, I think... Uh, all fans of Newcastle should be uh, should be, should be toasting not only the new owners but, but our good friend Nick DeMarco as well because I think it was his uh, his badgering and and his the way that he dealt with the Premier League which uh, encouraged them to to drop the objections to PIF taking over the club so uh, you know the, the hurdles which were first of all to do with uh, piracy of broadcasting rights in Qatar, yeah. uh, to which the Premier League had originally provided evidence. Well, uh, those objections uh, disappeared. Uh, relations between the the two countries, which were in a geopolitical dispute, to put it mildly, um, uh, they, they, they seem to have evaporated. Um, and, and I think the other issue was... Who is actually going to own Newcastle United? Yeah. The the, uh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia uh, isn't the the legal owner, um, and they didn't want to have to go through the owners and directors test. Um, PIF is the uh, you know is the corporation that uh, that owns eighty percent of Newcastle United, and and they have satisfied the test. So so that's that's where we are at present. Yeah, we should say again for new listeners that Nick DeMarco is a lawyer, not a not a random Tyneside heavy. It's <laughs> just going around imagining. It's as you say, Kieran. It's it's not Saudi Arabia who owns the club. It's a Saudi Arabian company owned by many people in the Saudi Arabian government who own the club. So there's an element of sophistry here, to a degree, isn't there? I mean, essentially, they've been taken over by the Saudi government, haven't they? Indirectly, I think it is. Uh, there, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, in terms of day-to-day decision making, I, I don't. I don't see that the crown prince will be involved in saying, right. you know, okay. who, who's, who's who's playing at left back this weekend. He'll, he'll, that that those decisions will be delegated to the professionals. We, we have to raise the issue of uh, you know, Amnesty International and other people have expressed their unhappiness with the deal. Um, but I, I think it's it's also indicative. Ultimately, football is all about money these days, and the Premier League is all about money. Um, you know, and, and as as Joe Strummer uh, sang in uh, White Man in Hammersmith Palais, if if Adolf Hitler flew in today, they 
they'd, they'd send a limousine because if he comes with a load of cash, that, that's, that, that counts for far more than um, anything else. Newcastle fans are quite right to point out that there are many other clubs in the Premier League who can't occupy the moral high ground in terms of the the background of their owners. And but this is obviously there's no doubt this is brilliant news for for Newcastle fans. I, I struggled and I did look just as a, to see if there was one awkward bugger out there who said this is not good for Newcastle. But clearly it's brilliant news. But how long, Kieran, do you think it will it will take? For the money to sort of take effect, because it's quite a long time for the the, the first transfer window. Newcastle are struggling, so do you, yeah. Do you think they'll be throwing money at the problem as early as January? I, I think there will be spending in January because the most important thing is uh, not not the next window, but the one after. Uh, yeah. you know, Newcastle will want to be in a position to offer players something which is attractive. Now, we all know that money is attractive, um, but it's not everything. If Newcastle were in the championship, then how do you attract a high-caliber player by saying, uh, we can offer you uh, you Luton on a Tuesday night when the alternative is playing in the Champions League on a Tuesday night with another club? So. Uh, you know that that does uh, make it more of a challenge. Again, m- money money can can make some of these issues go away, but there's still financial fair play to take into consideration. Um, I, I think in terms of what the owners can do, and we don't know how much money they've got to spend on this because ultimately it is an investment project. Yeah, and people look for a return on their investment. Um, now it, it could be that that in, that return on investment is the same as we've seen in in respect of Roman Abramovich and Sheikh Mansour, and the return is not measured financially, but we still have financial fair play to have to deal with. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you've got to offer for players, I mean, it's a beautiful part of the world, an absolutely beautiful part of the world with everything you would hope for that footballers want, nightclubs, restaurants, so on and so forth. Um, it's good news, hopefully, as well for the city itself, because we saw in the in the part of Manchester that Man City is based in, it's had a real uplift, isn't it, economically since they they were taken over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I lived in Manchester for forty years, and yeah, without being rude, East, East Manchester was was an was an area of social deprivation, yeah. and, and there has been an investment. Um, there will be, you know, the opportunity. Uh, for uh, for growth in terms of jobs, because you know the new owners will be looking to expand facilities. There's been chronic underinvestment uh, in infrastructure. Um, I, I showed the numbers, uh, and I think that, uh, that Newcastle's was about six million over the last decade. The next lowest wow. in the in the Premier League was twenty five million, and, wow. and that was that was for Norwich, who spent you know seven of those years outside of the Premier League. Yeah. So um, there, there is the opportunity, I think, for um, not just employment within the football club itself, but uh, you know, in, in the surrounding areas. Um, certainly, the last time I, I went to Newcastle, um, I, I, I love the city. You know, a Saturday night in the big market in yeah. Newcastle, it, it, you've got to do it. Um, you might not remember it, but you've still <laughs> got to do it. Um, and uh, you know, but what 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 astounded me was just the the resignation amongst the fans that they had just been browbeaten 
yeah. by the you know many years of Mike Ashley's involvement with the club. And and the paradox here is he's actually left a club in a really good position to grow because yeah. he has run it as a business. He's he's run it effectively as as he would run one of his sports direct stores, i.e. spending kept to the very bare minimum to achieve certain objectives. And his you know, his objective was 17th in the Premier League and anything else is a bonus. So so that's 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 where we are. Um there's there's huge opportunities if you take a look at uh, the commercial income of Newcastle United during the 14 years of of Mike own- Mike Ashley's ownership that grew by 1% over 14 years compared wow. to 164% for the Premier League overall. So yeah and and that's partly due to the fact that that Mike Ashley was a toxic brand. You know, people didn't want yeah. to be associated with sponsorship because they knew that fans would vote with their feet and, and not engage with the products um, because they didn't want it to be so. They didn't want to associate themselves with Mike Ashley. So I think uh, you know, in terms of merchandise sales, you'd expect to tick up. Certainly, um, you know, people have already spoken about the the potential for some form of naming rights. I think you have to be a little bit sensitive on this issue. It's still St James's Park to us all, ultimately. Yeah. Um, but also, you would imagine that uh, if, if I was the commercial director uh, of uh, Newcastle United, I would be booking a few tickets to to Riyadh to to go and sign some you know, commercial deals with partners there because there's going to be a huge interest. And Saudi yeah. Saudi's a much bigger country than, than many other countries in the Middle East. So you mentioned that 17th in the Premier League being the, the limit of Mike Ashley's ambition. And that's an indication that it's it's very good news for Newcastle, but it's bad news, Kieran, for us Palace fans, Brighton fans, yeah. Burnley fans, Southampton fans, because at the very least, even if it takes two or three seasons for Newcastle to get into the Champions League, you can't see them being one of the clubs that we would try to finish above in the Premier League. So, that, so another club has been taken out of our mini league of eight, nine at the bottom, which is not good news for us, is it? Yes, yeah, and, and there there has been talk in in the media about an emergency meeting of the uh, Premier League owners, Premier League chief executives, taking place in the next few days. Um, and uh, apparently, this is all due to them being concerned that there might be damage to the Premier League brand through association um, with uh, you know, with Saudi Arabia. Uh, remember, six six of these clubs were all for uh, you know, ripping up English yeah, football as we know it yeah. in Project Big Picture, and also ripping up European football as we know it. Uh, in in the form of the the European Franchise League, um, they they were also more than happy that they what they, they they most of them want to scrap the Carabao Cup. Um, they want the 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 FA Cup to be moved to a midweek competition. Um, we've got the thirty ninth game. We've got relationships with Russia, Thailand, China, USA, you know, and and also we've got owners who are involved in industries that aren't necessarily uh, squeaky clean themselves. Yeah. So I, I think to try to take some moral and ethical lens to this transaction and to say that this is unique is uh, unreasonable. If, if we're going to apply some some sort of moral uh, or ethical st- standpoint to the owners and directors' tests, that then it's got to apply to to all owners and, and all regimes that are involved yeah. in football. Um it, it is it is uncomfortable 
you know, the, you know what, what has happened in Saudi Arabia um, in terms of you know, if, if if you're gay, you, well, you, you, you've, it's not going to be good. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's, um, there, there's the issue with with the uh, with with the journalist who was killed, yeah. um, and and there and there's a proxy war taking place in Yemen. But yeah. how many times have you sat in a pub? Let's face it, you know, we, we've been going to football a long, long time. How many discussions have we had in pubs over proxy wars taking place in Yemen and, and the human rights? We, we football isn't directly attached to that. Yeah. Yeah, from a yeah, it's not. It, it, it's a bigger issue than that. But as you say, Newcastle aren't the only club that you could point the finger at. But from a fan's point of view, to end this conversation, I mean, my reaction was oh, bugger, really. I wouldn't mind a bit of that. But you yeah. can't begrudge you can't begrudge Newcastle fans their excitement. Essentially, it's, it's like you you can't just draw up the pull up the drawbridge and say right, okay, we're not letting a club that we finish above have money. It's just it's not that's not fair. It's not right. You just have to go right. We'll we'll have to find different ways to compete. And in the meantime, good luck to Newcastle fans. My my only fear is I I, I can well it's not a fear, it's a prediction. I can guarantee that in five years or ten years time there will be Newcastle fans yearning for the good old days of Mike Ashley because they they they'll say they've been priced out of the club. It's not it's not as much fun as it used to be. But in the meantime, I genuinely hope that Newcastle fans enjoy the ride. And I'm quite intrigued to see what happens myself, actually. And yeah. you know, and if, if Man United's nose is a bit out of joint, if Liverpool's nose is out of joint, if City's nose is out of joint, Chelsea that doesn't bother me, to be perfectly honest. No. It really doesn't bother me. So let's get into the questions, Kieran's. We've got a lot of them. We'll see how many we can get through today. As usual, they're an interesting and varied bunch. Uh, and the first one comes from Jordan Sumner. And this is an issue we have sort of talked about, uh, but not not really in detail. We talk we talk a lot about Scottish football, Kieran, and, and rightly yeah. so, but Welsh football we don't we haven't covered in as much forensic detail because we don't get asked about it that often. But Jordan's asked this question. It's around the Welsh teams currently playing in the lower leagues of English football, above all Wrexham and uh, Chester, although Chester technically aren't a Welsh team. But would it be more beneficial from a financial perspective for these two clubs to play in the Welsh Premier League rather than in the National League, National League law, respectively? They could potentially compete at the top of the Welsh League and so qualification for European competition could be achieved with the subsequent revenue opportunities that come with it. And we we know, Kieran, from the little experience we do have for Wales, and it is a it is a hot potato. You, you can, you. It's sometimes hard to do right for doing wrong because there are, quite rightly, Welsh football fans are sensitive to these issues. Yes, yes, uh, and also in, in relation to uh, uh, to to your comments about Chester, uh, Chester and Wrexham don't like each other. To, to they really it, don't like each other. Do no, because the uh, isn't it the uh, the the, ta- the town clock at Chester has got. It's got four sides to it, but only three of them have actually got clocks on because the fourth one points towards Wrexham. That's how much they hate each other. Um, so yeah, that, that's that, that, that's proper bitterness. That's, that's what we love about this country. It's, it's, it's a sort of petty spite that I really admire. <laughs> but uh, looking at the position and, and Jordan's question, I, I think he's absolutely right. Um if you are the Welsh champions, you get €260,000 from UEFA. Uh, and that, that allows you effectively... And if you then get into the Champions League first proper round of qualifiers, you know, there's preliminary rounds, you get yeah. another €150,000. 
So, so that's far more money than, than you get in the national league. And also to put it into context, you get you know you, you get two hundred and sixty thousand euro from um, uh, from from UEFA. Uh, if if you win the Carabao Cup, you get two hundred grand. Yeah, from you know as prize money. So yeah, admittedly, you also get uh, you you get to play in in the Europa League and so on. If you compare that to the monies available in the national league and the national league north, it's far in excess. So that's why um, clubs such as the New Saints uh, have have done so well. And you know, it's it's part of Oswestry and part of a uh, another uh, town who I'm I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Um, but he's he's absolutely right that there are financial benefits, and with the expansion of UEFA's competitions to now include the uh, Europa or UEFA Conference League, there is a far greater chance of a Welsh club actually getting into the group stages of one of those competitions. And again, the the money ramps up very very quickly. So uh, you know, normally I would say. You you have to counterbalance that if you are in the national league, you then have the opportunity, of course, to get into the EFL and the financial rewards that that brings. Because the TV deal in the national league, even yeah. for a, a League Two club, we're talking seven figures. Um, but if you get into the if you get into the group stages of this, this new uh, Europa competition, um, yeah, that. That's very beneficial as well. So it's it's an interesting conundrum for for Welsh clubs. You know, it's uh, uh, you know, it, it is it's heads or tails. There's no definitive right approach, but you can understand why uh, the new Saints have have taken the approach that they have. Yeah, interesting, Kieran. As well, it's not that long ago that Newport or the the, the Phoenix club that arose out of Newport County. I think a lack of cooperation would be the the simplest way of putting it from the Welsh authorities because when they were trying to get back to their old ground and then trying Mm. to get a new ground because they chose to try their luck in the English pyramid because they they thought there are better better potential benefits for being in the English pyramid and the Welsh authorities said, well, in that case, you can find a ground in England, essentially. So for two or three years, they were playing all over the place. So... As you say, it's, it, it is swings and roundabouts, but there is merit to both options, isn't there? Yes, yeah, and and yeah. also Rod, Rodney Parade is what a name for a. It's we, great, we, isn't we, it? We, we've got fantastic names from our uh, yeah. from our from our uh, subscribers today. That uh, in terms of the questions, we've got some absolute corpus. I would, I would, do you know what? I was just desperately looking through the list of questions to see if I'd missed one from Rodney Parade. That's why he was saying it. <laughs> and the next question is from Rodney Parade. Um, our next question is actually from Darren Shepherd. Um, uh, excuse me if I sound a bit nasal today, by the way. It's not the sarcoid. It's the intermittently getting rained on and then burned in yesterday's typical October weather. Um, Darren Shepard says, in light of Kevin De Bruyne's choice to not use a standard agent in his last contract negotiation and go instead with a data collection agency who showed the ROI and true worth of contract investment, do you see this becoming more of a thing and more players changing to this tactic to get better deals? Also, could you see data collection and analysis become more common for other footballing decisions? Well, yes, actually, to to answer uh, Darren's second question first, uh, Manchester United on Friday announced the appointment of Dominic Jordan as a data science director. So clubs are taking it very seriously indeed. Manchester City have got somebody with a PhD in astrophysics in charge charge of their data analytics. Um, and this also ties into 
um, the chat we had with Anthony Kaminskas uh, on on Wednesday in yeah. terms of being able to understand numbers and data is absolutely critical in the in the betting industry. Well. Therefore, it should also be absolutely critical in the football industry. We, we've seen uh, you know, how Moneyball has worked in other sports, and that application is is now being taken more seriously within some football clubs, not all. There's still some that believe sort of old school. You know, I'll, I'll turn up with a flat cap and watch a player, yeah. and you know, you know can, can can he do it on a Tuesday night in in Barnsley uh, mentality? But uh, I, I think clubs are starting to to utilise. Uh, the numbers to a far greater degree. So in, in terms of will players use this, um, I think they, they will, they'll either directly use the data agencies themselves um, and perhaps go into negotiations with uh, with a lawyer, uh, you know, to just to make sure that they understand and, and they go through the small print. Or what you will find is that the large, um, the, the large agencies themselves will start to have data uh, analytics as, as part of their team uh, because they will know that if they fail to do that they'll, they'll be seen as being behind the curve and and they risk losing their clients so I think this is going to come directly or indirectly it, not only into player player negotiations but but other aspects of the game as well um, can I just check Kieran uh, first of all on behalf of Manchester United fans and on behalf of some several baffled Crystal Palace fans who may be listening. Is that the Dominic Jordan, as in Simon Jordan's brother, Dominic? Um, I don't think so. I think he's... Okay, right. I think... Okay. I think, I think uh, it, it's, it's, I didn't read it. Uh, and also, I think he's quite... I think, you know, Simon's Simon's a bit younger than us, but he's not a huge amount younger than us. I think this Dominic Jordan might be a few years younger still. Okay, I just... I just it, it, I'm just asking for a friend, Kieran, because if, if it is Simon Jordan's brother, Dominic, he most definitely does not have a PhD in astrophysics. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Right, well, if it's wrong, I am, Simon Jordan phones me up quite often, so... Um, yeah, I, 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 I've, I've just discovered that fact, Kieran, through <laughs> producer Guy, because quite rightly he decided to keep that from me. It's just the, the idea of you and that man... I can't even say his name out loud, but I, I hope you enjoy many a phone call, Kieran. That's all I can say. I, I, I don't speak many words. <laughs> oh no, no, it's, it's it's very much not a two-way conversation when you're in the company of that man. Also, don't show him photographs of uh, the Baroness. Um, our next question comes from Brett Peckham, uh, and certainly not if he's with Alan Pardew. Um, our next question comes from producer guy. I'll probably take that out, won't he? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, Brett Peckham, which is a, a, a great name. We've had Rodney Parade, and now we've got Brett Peckham. So that's yes. good. And only fools and horses feel down today. <laughs> uh, with all the American investment companies who are buying into English clubs because they're cheaper than US teams, would it not be better for them to buy, say, a League One club and get it promoted into the championship and then the Premier League and sell it for a profit? rather than buying a middle, lower club in the Premier League and battling relegation, throwing money at it to keep it in the league? Or does the money you have to put into a club just to get through the Championship just make it not feasible? Well, I think to a certain extent, Brett's answered his own question in the sense that if we take a look at the Championship uh, in in 2019, so pre-COVID, the average losses for clubs in the Championship were £470,000 a week. So you've got so if if you buy a club on the cheap uh, in League One, first of all you've got to get promoted. 
And and League One's not a walk in the park. You know, you've got Sunderland, no, no, no. Ipswich, Pompey. You've got Charlton. Yeah. You've got you know Wigan won the won the FA Cup less than a decade ago. Um, so it's 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 a tough uh, it's a tough division to get out. And I think Plymouth, who who we've always said, you know, Plymouth Argyle are this this club who we think would be the fifty first club to get into the Premier League in terms of their size and potential. Um, so. Um, I think it's not easy to get out of League One, so you, you know that that's going to take a year or two. And remember, if you are an investor, you're, you're looking for if you're an investor, you're looking for an exit route the day you buy into a business. So oh, okay, you've, right. you've got you've got one more year to to have to deal with as a bare minimum. Then in the Championship, you're up against six to eight clubs in, who are in receipt of parachute payments. And I know we've done parachute payments to death. Um, they they do give you an advantage. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it was never there. That that wasn't what they were created for. But it, it does does allow clubs to have a, a competitive advantage, a small one. Um, so yeah, that's going to be more of a challenge. Um, and then when you get into the Premier League, then then yes, you you could potentially sell at a profit. But in going from League One to getting to the Premier League, you'd have to say, yeah, if I buy a club in the in in the in the prem in in the league one for let's say in the region of fifteen to twenty million, if it takes me three years to get to the Premier League, it's probably going to cost me another fifty or sixty million uh, to uh, you know get out. Then you've got the costs of buying players in the Premier League and establishing the club in the Premier League, and then you've got to go and find somebody to buy it off you. So it's it it can be done, but there's a huge lot of pitfalls. You, you, you know, we, we 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 don't want to mention a certain club. Uh, in the championship, who who has who has lost an absolute fortune is currently in administration, but you know, they tried to buy their way out of the championship, and it doesn't work. So, what happens if you are this investor? You you put in you know tens and tens of millions, and you're left with a club that's fourteenth in in the championship after five years. It's cost you an absolute fortune. So, the advantage of being in the Premier League to begin with is at least you've got those guaranteed revenues and t- at least two years worth of parachute payments. Uh, as well, should the worst happen in, in your first year of ownership? Yeah, <clears throat> I panicked a little bit when you mentioned Plymouth Argyle then, because I, I thought you might be about to use the word sleeping giant, and then we'd have to have a massive argument. Because <laughs> it's, <one, laughs> it's one of the phrases we promised we'd try never to use we, on this yes. podcast. Yes, okay. <laughs> um, our next question comes from Rob Platts. And Rob, I'm going to apologise to you in advance here because I will ask Kieran the question, and I'll ask Kieran for as short an answer as yeah. possible because yeah. I think this is a subject that needs exploring properly. It yeah. really does. And I think it needs us to get hold of somebody who knows much more about these things than I do, and possibly somebody from Forest Green Rovers, which is a, a hint as to what the question's about. Uh, it's a very good question. It's a very important question. Uh, and it's a very topical question. So, yes, Rob, I will ask it, but we will look to explore this in much more detail in the next two or three weeks, if that's okay. Uh, Rob says, research shows that 23 of the 92 football league grounds in England could expect full or partial flooding all year round by the year 2050 as a result of rising sea levels caused by climate change, which is a frightening figure. Mm. Four Premier League clubs have so far signed up to the United Nations Sport for Climate Action Framework, Spurs, Liverpool, Southampton and Arsenal. And I hope many fans will be asking for their clubs to sign up soon. 
I know clubs can make some small changes easily and at zero cost. For example, switching to a renewable-powered electricity supplier and putting more veggie and vegan options on the menu for fans and staff. But they can't all turn into Forest Green Rovers overnight. Do you know how much it would roughly cost a Premier League football club to make some more important initial steps towards sustainability? And Rob gives us some examples. So stopping all domestic air travel, converting to electric team buses, installing solar panels on the stadium and training ground, collecting rainwater for pitch irrigation, conducting a sustainability audit to establish their co total carbon footprint as Wolfsburg's FC, Wolfsburg FC, I beg your pardon, do every two years. Now, I know Sky Sports had their uh, totally carbon-free match, didn't they, their first yeah. one two yeah. weeks ago, I believe. But this is an issue, Kieran, that um, this is one issue that football, I mean, football is dragging its feet on all sorts of issues, important issues, as we know, Kieran, but eventually they will have to take their, their part in this, won't they? Yeah, uh, in terms of Rob's question, I think the cost will be close to zero because right. you know if, if if you abandon using um, uh, flights to go to matches and you use an alternative transport, it will be cheaper. Yeah, yeah. So course. so yeah, you, you you can go by coach or, or I've seen clubs go by train. Yeah, um, and you can just book book out a whole carriage for yourself. And and we know a story connected to that, don't we? But we're, we're not going to uh, expand <laughs> on that for, for the listeners. That, that, we'll, we'll keep that for the live shows. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, although I should point out, Kieran, as a lawyer pointed out to me recently, that it's it's still slander, even if you're just saying it in a live situation. <laughs> if more than three people hear it. so oh, Well, that's, that's, well, that's, 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 that's not, not, not with our audience. I think that'd be a problem. Um, <laughs> They'll <laughs> be walking out after five minutes. <laughs> um, so I, I think I think clubs are looking towards this, and also um, as you know, I, I do read every set of accounts from cover to cover, and yeah. some of them are now starting to um, have uh, environmental audits, and, and they and they are quoting their their consumption of electricity. It's in their interests to uh, to, to do this because, yeah, you know, as Rob says, if. If if a quarter if a quarter of the clubs in in English yeah. football are going to be yeah. underwater in 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 thirty years, well, they need to start acting now. So uh, I, I think the financial cost will will not be huge, and, and I know some fans of some clubs will say, "Well, what's the point of doing it if nobody else does it?" Well, if everybody takes that attitude, then then we are we're, then we're up in in our neck in the doo doo. Um, it's you know on, on an individual basis, we can start to make a difference. Um, yeah. And you know, and, and I think people will actually start to to take this into serious consideration because we're going through an energy crisis this winter uh, in in yeah. terms of pricing, and all of a sudden uh, you, you start to realise that there are there are benefits in, in taking more care. Having said that, yeah, we we go back to some of these clubs that have signed up to the UN uh, uh, commitment. Uh, you know, Super League wasn't going to help particularly because that involved more games taking yeah. place in Europe and more travel. The 39th games are taking place yeah. in Doha or Riyadh or, or you know, Indonesia. Well, that wasn't going to help either. So um, clubs have got to do more than, than lip service. Um, and I think they do need to take into consideration as part of their strategy, as part of their decision-making process. Um, you know, the, the impact of those decisions, not only financially, which, as we know, is a huge driver in football, but also... Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've got two granddaughters daughters now. I, I want them to grow up in a nice world, or of course, or, or, or in in a, in in a world where there's where they're not underwater. 
Yeah. Um, I'd like to think, Kieran, you, you're right, there will be some fans saying, oh, why are, we, why are we doing this? But I'd like to think that most of them would look at these small improvements around the ground and say, oh, that's a good idea. They, yeah. You know, if, yeah. if they, if, I, I like to think that Palace fans, if, if they were told that rainwater was being used for pitch irrigation, they'd go, great, that's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't see any downside. But- yeah, because we, we've all seen, you know, barely a season passes by without us chuckling at a pundit being soaked because of the amount of water, you know, the, the sprinklers are on the pitch. Yeah. Huge amounts of water used to yeah. to. And it's not just in the ground, it's training as well. So, Rob, thank you for that question. As I say, we this is something we will explore in more detail in the next couple of weeks. And I think it's something we want to uh, take on because, like, as Kieran says, we've made a mess. I know this is this sounds like a terrible 70s hippie thing to say, but we've, we have really have made a mess of this yeah. place, haven't we? Yeah. And it's, it's yeah, so I get so, so cross with people like Piers Morgan, middle-aged wasp, faced men gammon having to go at people like Greta Thunberg for having the audacity to be young and concerned for the future of the planet it just yeah it just you know we need to be not like that and also um you know somebody who you might think would be in that that particular camp I've just been watching Clarkson's Farm on Netflix yeah and it is I have learned more about farming and and, yeah I'm 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 not interested in cars and I can find Jeremy Clarkson a bit bit tedious at times this has opened my eyes but also he has been absolutely brilliant for promoting the huge importance of looking after this this green and pleasant land um and if anybody hasn't watched it and thinks well i think jeremy clarkson's a bit of an ass uh i'd recommend it because your your opinion will change and and yes he, he plays to the cameras to a certain extent but it's absolutely amazing stuff am i talking to the right kieran Maguire? You're on the phone to Simon Jordan. You're praising Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be on the beach at Dover with a megaphone in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was on GB News this week. Were you? Yeah. <laughs> what, hosting your own show? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, I, I, I uh, yeah. And I thought, uh, they asked me, and I thought, well, if I appear on Al Jazeera, no, if, if I appear on CNBC, which is China's yeah. uh, China, yeah, I appear yeah. on RT today, Russia, um, yeah. then then surely I've, I've, I I cannot take you know, I, I cannot be sneery about it. Um, I, uh, I I was wearing Union Jack underpants uh, for the interview <laughs> just to just to sort of feel that I was I was buying into the the station, um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it was different. Uh, the, the 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 only media outlet I won't talk to is uh, is the Sun. Because yeah. I work in Liverpool, and of course, uh, you know, out out of respect for the people that that I work with, um, I, I don't think it's appropriate. But other than that, well, you'll probably be pleased to know that I turned down quite a lot of money to write an article in the Sun recently. So, oh, good man. Uh, yeah, it, it hurt a little bit, Kieran, but it was yeah. the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, let's get with some questions. Mark Strong. Uh, says in a recent pod, you mentioned the Man City owners have acquired several different clubs around the world, and Man United might be looking to do the same. Does this mean that owners with multiple clubs can move money from one club that might be doing very well and making wads of cash to another club that isn't doing so well to offset financial fair play? Uh, can they do this? Yes, they can. Um, uh, am I going to accuse any clubs of doing this? Certainly not. <laughs> but, let, let, but, but but let's just take a random example. 
Um, yeah, he, Mark mentioned uh, Manchester City. So, so Manchester City are part of the City Football Group. Um, Aaron Moy was uh, playing for Melbourne City. Really good looking player when he you know a few years ago, and, and he he moved to Manchester City. I think it was on a free transfer. Yeah, um, and he gave well that, that seems uh, yeah, that seems quite a good deal for Manchester City. Um, and then they loaned him and sold him to Huddersfield Town for ten million pounds. That ten million pounds of profit, around yeah, nine or ten million pounds, whatever it was, that of course ended up in the books of Manchester City. Perfectly legitimate, I hasten to add. Um, but also, it contributed towards financial fair play here in England. There isn't a similar. Uh, there isn't similar cost control uh, taking place in Australia. So yes, it does allow you to to a shift profits from one part of the business to another. And this happens, by the way, in all institutions. You know, we we see Facebook and Google being accused of it. You know, with the stories of how much tax Facebook pays here in the UK, and then that gets gets people angry. And this is actually known as transfer pricing um, right. it, from from a taxation perspective. You could do the same from um, you know, other types of revenues. Let's say that uh, you've you've got a, a Premier League club and it plays a pre-season friendly against one of the other clubs uh, owned by the group, and uh, you know for the privilege of playing in you know, either the US or Indonesia or or Belgium, uh, you you of course you're you're entitled to charge a fee. Um, so it could be that the Premier League club charges five million pounds. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, yeah. yeah, all counts towards financial fair play. Pure coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> you do have a certain way of saying some things, Kieran, that makes it quite clear what you actually mean. Um, Frank Chart asks our next question. Uh, Frank says, we often hear about the salary of managers in the Premier League and how much it might cost to dispense with their services. I was discussing Liverpool assistant manager Pep Linders with my son-in-law recently, as Pep's son attends the same school as my granddaughter. Always mm. like a bit of context in a question, Frank. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Could have gone straight to it, but no, you gave us that extra bit of detail. I like that. Uh, my son-in-law and I speculated what Pep's salary might be in comparison to Jurgen Klopp. Obviously, there'll be no rule of thumb on this, but in ballpark figures, what in percentage terms of a main man's salary might a good number two expect? You can't beat a good number two, I always say. Uh, especially on Boxing Day. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's the best one of the year, isn't it? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, take a good book with you. Um, um, or, or take our book with you if you want. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've never been nominated for a batter, have we, Kevin? Not yet. (laughs) I keep saying it's surely only a matter of time, and then we get distracted by toilet humour. Literally toilet humour in this case. Yes. Um, Again, I I, I don't have any knowledge of individual pay packets, but I was talking to somebody recently who who advised me there was an assistant manager in in the championship on £400,000 a year. So, um, and of course, because he's in a management role, we quote his pay in uh, a salary per year, as opposed to a footballer who's a working class oik. We have to go and quote it in weeks. Um, But um, it's, I I would say it's normally in the region of perhaps 10 to 20% of of what the manager would be on. We've got managers who are on, uh, you know, six to 10 million. Um, I, I would expect a, a, a very small fraction of that to go to to the the assistant team. Uh, you know, cl- clubs are actually very 
keen to keep costs low. Um, and yeah, assistant managers are, are are not in the they're not the focal point. They're, yeah. they're not they're not the star name. If they are a star name, they they tend to go off to be managers themselves, um, as we saw with Mikel Arteta. Yeah. We still have a few questions to go, Kieran. I'm not entirely sure we'll get through all of them, but it means that we'll have a couple of really interesting ones to start next week. Uh, This next question from Ian Beresford, uh, it's one of those questions, even I, with my lack of financial acumen, think there should be a a very simple answer to it. And I I almost, it's so simple, I almost don't understand the question. And that's how (laughs) bad I am at finances. This simple question is very difficult to understand. Now, Ian Beresford said, is there a logic to players being classed as intangible assets in accounts when they are clearly physical assets? I mean, it, I mean, to my mind, clearly, they are. You couldn't be more tangible than a human being. So why are they classed as intangible assets? Right. For, the, for those people unfamiliar with this term, intangible, an intangible is defined as being an asset without physical substance. So it's something such as a license, a patent right, uh, goodwill, a brand, and so on. When you sign a footballer, first of all, it's a misnomer. You are not signing a footballer. You are giving the footballer's, footballer's previous employer compensation for um, their their rights, uh, their, their rights of employment. So, okay. um, what happens is, you know, when uh, you know w- when Manchester United went out and signed Paul Pogba, he was contractually obliged to Juventus Football Club for the next two to three years. So, what Manchester United did, they went and said, "We are we are going to give you a compensation fee for giving up your rights to exclusivity." And that's the big issue. So you, so you are actually paying you that the intangible asset that you are um, buying is his registration certificate. And under football rules, uh, if 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 a, and, it, and this this applies to Sunday league football as well. Yeah, right. if you if you if you if you're registered with Club X, you cannot play for another Sunday league club unless, of course, you play under a mate's name. As, yeah. as we as we both know from prior experience, and, and then somebody goes, "Hold on, weren't you playing for Stratton Rovers last Sunday?" Oh no, 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 no! It's, it's a bloke. It, I'm, I'm often mixed up with him. You know, he, he, he looks like me. Okay. Um, so, so you know, it, it's it's because you it's because you're not allowed to 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 transfer registrations and play for two clubs at once. You get and and therefore it's it's the exclusivity of registration. And you are compensating somebody else for that. So it's that right that you are buying. You are not buying the footballer themselves. Because, because I often speak to uh, to friends in the States with regards to this. Um, not not celebrities, by the way. Yeah. Um, and th- they get very twitchy about this concept of, of transfer fees because of the history of the United States. So aren't this is, isn't this a form of slavery? Um, right. And it's not you are not buying the football player. It is his uh, it's his registration certificate. Have you told me that before, Kieran? Because that I, I'm that's really interesting. I did not know that. I mean, so either I've just learned something, or I've realised that I've forgotten something that you've taught me already. But that's I think that will come as a surprise to a lot of people. To be perfectly honest, so Ian Beres, thank you for that question. Uh, it's very illuminating. James Spring says there's been a lot of talk in the local press that his club, Notts County, may have to shut down its academy if they don't get promoted to the National League soon. 
Are there parachute payments for clubs relegated from the EFL? And does the EFL provide any funding for club academies? Uh, In terms of EFL parachute payments, in your first year following relegation from the EFL, you get 100% of the League 2 money. And in your second year, you get 50%. Um, So, yes, there are parachute payments. Uh, And they might sound quite high, but those are purely from the EFL's own TV deal. Remember, the the EFL clubs get more money from the Premier League TV deal than they do from their own. So in in what's referred to as solidarity payments. So, yes, you do get money um, for two years following relegation. In terms of academies, I think there is some sort of central compensation scheme for clubs that run academies, but it, it's not great. And also, uh, academies are um, set out in as, as grades, and you've got grades one, two, three, and four. Um, and the amount of compensation you get for a grade one academy is far higher, but also the running costs are, are very high as well. Yeah. So um, I, I can understand not to count to be under an awful lot of cost pressure um, since being relegated. And, you know, and I'm... I'm old enough to, you know, remember Notts County in in the top tier, and yeah. uh, you know, and also going to Wembley uh, in the 1991 playoff final when when we when we played them and they beat us three one. Neil Warnock was the manager. Tommy Johnson scored twice against. Us. I'm not still bitter. Uh, Thirty years later, of course, um, and and they ended up in in the top tier of English football as a result. I, do. I remember. Uh, I, I still thank them for it. Um, yes. Our next question, uh, who said that sounds like I'm thanking Neil Warnock, and I wouldn't like that on the record. Uh, <laughs> Nobby Clark asked our next question. If it's the Nobby Clark Palace fan that I know, then hello, Nobby. But um, uh, Nobby is a very common nickname for people who are called Clark, who it was in the 1950s and black and white films, anyway. So it may not be the Nobby Clark I know, but Nobby says now that the Wigan ownership saga is thankfully resolved. I was just wondering whether there had been any developments in the Stanley Choi, our young shenanigans, and suspected betting scam. If there was any truth in it, I'd hate for them to get away with it and would like to see Wigan compensated if possible. That does sound like the Nobby Clark I know. <laughs> yes. Um, no, th- there has been no further progress. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of conspiracy theories here. And uh, I, I know Rick Parry of the EFL, he was he was secretly filmed by a fan uh, suggesting that there had been a bet in the Philippines for Wigan yeah. Athletic to be um, to be relegated. And, and that then went out on social media, which was you know, perhaps a bit harsh. Um, we, uh, we, we have our friends uh, in, in Asia who have put forward alternative theories to that, uh, again, yeah, yeah. involving Stanley Choi and our young with regards to um, Stanley Choi's company um, was seeking uh, approval to open a, uh, a gambling establishment in the Philippines and owning Wigan at the same time could have been a bit of a conflict of interest. Was there some form of relationship between the two because they are both well-known gamblers um, but uh, as the the administrators of Wigan Athletic, when they were when they were not designing a, a statue of themselves, <laughs> the great work that they'd done, um, they, they did they did have a, a a Zoom conversation with our young, and by all accounts, very little progress was made. And uh, I think since then, um, we've just seen you know big broom and a lot of carpet, um, yeah. and, and everybody's trying to forget that this this ever took place. 
<clears throat> that's not the answer that Nobby was hoping for, unfortunately, uh, and I think most of us would agree. Uh, Jude McCarthy, we are going to get through all our questions today, Kieran. We've done very well. Congratulations. Jude McCarthy says, as a way of paying less tax, instead of a player signing a contract with a club, would it be possible, forward slash legal, for him to set up an offshore company and for that company to have a contract with the club for the supply of the player's services and for the player to then take his money out of the company in salary, forward slash dividends, so as to minimise tax paid? So this is quite an interesting uh, second question to the intangible asset one, isn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, so... Uh, in, in terms of Jude's question, and, and, and I'm, I'm not a, uh, I'm, I'm not a tax accountant. I did used to teach tax back in the day, uh, and tax is, of course, for nearly all accountants, their their favourite three letter word ending in X, and in fact, for most of them, their only three letter word ending in X, um, given their personalities. Oh my, oh my lord! How many is that? Is that the, an accountant's favourite joke? <laughs> It's it? my my account. Yeah, I've I've been using that one for forty years teaching. Um, oh, no, but it's, trust me, Bobby Numbers. He's, he he forgets. <laughs> I might need a new account. I would never get a new account, Bobby. But uh, <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Numbers seems to forget that I've heard that joke every time I turn up. There's another Bobby. I'm a I'm a comedian. I I don't forget jokes. I forget exactly. to pay tax. I do forget to put money away for my tax. I agree. I may have accidentally spent my VAT money. I agree, but I don't forget jokes. <laughs> um. But back to um, Jude's position, um, a football player could have an agreement in his contract with the football club for a proportion of earnings to be classified as image rights and those image rights to be paid to a separate company, which right. could be located overseas. So that, and, and we've had this conversation before. Now, HMRC on our don't like football clubs trying to do things like that, and they don't yeah. like people trying try to take the mickey. So um, under what's known as IR35 rules, which are hitting huge numbers of people um, who are self-employed or, or consider themselves to be self-employed, quite often you will then find yourself down to be an employee of a yeah. particular organisation. And on the back of that, you will have PAYE deducted. So um, you know, to, to have all of the players' earnings paid via an offshore company, that, that would not work. But to have a proportion, and, and at present, HMRC tend to say, well, we'd, we'd normally be okay for 20% if you right. are a star name, yeah. um, but if you are Morecambe's left-back, the chances are, you know, who's going to be paying you for your image rights? You know, 100% we're going to classify your employ- uh, your your remuneration as, as earned and, and therefore has to be dealt with under the PAYE system. So there is scope for some tax planning here, but uh, it cannot be abused. There are there are a few clubs, if, again, if you go into the small print of football club accounts, I don't recommend this, by the way. Um, if, if you go into the small print, you will actually see them that, uh, say that they are under present investigation by the tax authorities. Yeah, this is something HMRC are really cracking down on in, in my industry. The, I was going to suggest, yeah, I thought we yeah, this, this notion of um, people making themselves a limited company and hiring the services to the TV company. Yeah rather than being an employee of the BBC or is is certainly one that HMRC have woken up to in, in yeah. the past couple of years. Our final question comes from Tom Holiday, Kieran, for anyone of our generation. 
this is going to be a question that they find interesting. As Tom says, I know you've had a lot of questions about match day programs recently, the income they might generate. However, my club, Leeds, and most others, I assume, have a strong fanzine scene. Would it be in the club's interest to stop producing official programmes and invest instead in producing, advertising, and distributing the seemingly more popular fan-produced magazines? Now, this is a very pertinent question for me, Kieran, because Price of Football, the Price of Football, that's, that's us, five-year <laughs> yes. plan, five plan, the uh, Palace uh, podcast I do, also does a... a uh, a two uh, two two a year printed fanzine, which is brilliant. It's a really really strong fanzine. Uh, before the Tottenham game, it's sold out in about half an hour. Now, possibly because there were huge queues trying to get in because the turnstile. <laughs> but they are still immensely. But and it's a it's a really good product. I mean, the only thing it doesn't provide is is team news and profiles of the other the other team on that particular day. But that's easy enough to get from the internet. But I, I think the answer to Tom's question is probably it, the clubs wouldn't be interested in doing it, but I think it's a good question. Yeah, he's absolutely right. That There has been a decline in sales um, of match day programmes, and, and my understanding is that it's it's pretty marginal at many clubs. And in fact, some clubs yeah. have now moved to a, a digital-only version, and if yeah, you're a season yeah. ticket holder, you know, that's part of what you get for attending a match. Um, certainly my... My, my mate, Uncle Ian, who is a, a guru of, uh, of match day programs and has got, got them going for, for going back decades and decades, he says, um, you know, his fear is that it is going to die out. You know, it, it's a bit like, remember the bloke that used to walk around at half time with, a, with, with the scores at other matches and he'd yeah. go and shout at him. You know, some things, it's, it's part of that era. Um, and you know, is it actually appropriate for the digital age to have a match day program? Um, in terms of fanzines, I, I, I love fanzine culture. I think um, my my club would not exist had it not been for the way that we used to rally. You know, the fanzine yeah. was the way to communicate. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, weird weird one um, that uh, was without doubt. Uh, the, the savior of the club and and the the two guys that ran it they they got sued by the club and uh, they lost a fortune for yeah. sometimes fanzines can go too far which then brings us into the issue if it is a fanzine the one thing that you want is editorial independence and yeah. the one thing that the club will not give you is yeah. editorial independence because if you're saying the manager's crap the left back shite uh, we saw such and such a player out last saturday night uh, in a nightclub following a 3-0 defeat and he seemed to be enjoying himself. Um, all of that type of stuff is going to get censored. You know, the, the, one of the reasons I don't buy a match day programme is because it is sanitised. And, and and I think they are actually, you know, a lot of them, when, when you, you know, you occasionally will, might, you might go to a match and read one because you've got a long journey back or something. They are actually, you know, pretty high quality uh, publications. Yeah, no doubt about that. But you know that everything has gone through the the system and one of the things that we love about fanzines and, and also if you think about this podcast and, and your podcast five-year plan it's that you you can take on the club and and you can be a little bit uh, angsty um and that would not happen if you became part of the official uh, club machine and also what would happen of course is that two or three people who used to write for the fanzine they'd get hacked off and they go and set up their own fanzine in competition straight away yeah. 
Yeah, well, also fanzine culture. It was it was five year plan that took on the Sussex Police after the notorious uh, weapon planting incident. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that was appalling. Uh, yes, but I, I don't think individual fans would have been able to do that. Um, I used to have uh, a page in the Palace program, Kieran, for quite a few seasons. Did you? Uh, cool. uh, while we're in the Championship, I, every Saturday you'd read it and you think, I don't think they've even checked this. Because they, they, they would just let everything through. It was just like, I would literally be ranting about how shit we were. And they'd go, that's, that's fine. As soon as we got to the Premier League, they found out, went, yeah, probably best not now. Now <laughs> 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 we've got grown-up fans watching it. I used to, I used to love reading the programme on the way trip. If, if, you, if you'd won and you're travelling back on the train, reading the programme from cover to cover of the other team is always brilliant. And, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and I used to, I used to. One of the things I miss about football is the the old blokes who would buy two programs, one to write the team changes on, and one to keep pristine at home for their collection. I used to like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but if you would like to make a small monthly contribution to our always free to air pod, then please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show on any aspect of football finance big, small, in any part of the world, email us at questionspriceoffootball.com and I shall hand you over to Mr Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Okay, once again, folks, thanks very much for everything. If you like us and you want to give us some good karma, go on to that big big purple button on Apple and give us five stars and and say something rude and cheeky. That's how we like it. (laughs) Other than that, bye-bye. That's what we should call ourselves, rude and cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. The price of football. Bye, son, for the